it's the football library. You're allowed. You've got Johnny Nicholson on the front desk. Oh right. This oh, is. He's, a, well, he's a beast. I'm honoured. I'm honoured to be anywhere near in the same breath as him. Indeed, uh, Paul Armstrong, author of two books. Why are we always on last? Running match of the day and other adventures in TV and football, and the follow-up. Why are we always indoors? A diary of lockdown published in 2020. Both on Pitch <laughs> Publications, the finest football-based publication. Um, yeah, and- I, I, would, I, would, I would. I would endorse that. I have to say they've they been brilliantly supportive with me, and and uh, just yeah, good good eggs. I think we should. <laughs> but if, if if their names on it, it's usually worth buying. The back of World Soccer magazine carried advertisements for several books. I don't know if yours was among them, but the De Silva twins, Olivier Giroud—they're bringing yeah. out proper heavyweight autobiography now. Yeah. Yeah, they are. They're, they're great. I mean, they're. they're um, yeah, I don't know how they do it. I don't know how the business model works. But I mean, I mean, my the first book of mine was relatively. Yeah, was there was some interest in that because of the the access I had. You know, to say nobody knows who I am, but there was always going to be a, a niche readership for a behind the scenes match of the day book. And I've always written bits and I've always written blogs, and I, I, I kind of thought I could write. I wrote. In fact, I, that what we'll be back after the break. I hate, modestly says my line. That was yours. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been well. I wanted to use it in a different context. There's a long story about it in the book. We were going to do when we we got our first European game for ages at a time when ITV had everything, and that was going to be the introduction introductory line. But I kept as it turned out. It just, it, it worked for the uh, end of the. We then lost the Premier League. I think it was a perfect, perfect sign off for that. But he, he, he wrote most of the stuff and, and improved, improved some of my crude lines. But I always thought I possibly had a book in me. I was always told that. So that one was relatively obvious for pitch. But all I would say is that the backing on the second one, which was just a complete sort of leap in the dark. Um, and wouldn't have the same obvious audience was amazing. I can't, I can't thank them enough for that. It, it's, it is loosely still fo- there's plenty of football in it, but it did go off. As you, it, I don't know how much of it you've read. It's like it's like a difficult second album. It's kind of <laughs> it's uh, it's not as, it's not as obviously full of full of poppy tunes and hits as the first one. But no, I'm, but I'm what I, proud of it. What I want from a second book is. Um... More. If if the first one is memoir, the second one should build on it. Harry Redknapp has written four volumes of memoir, written, uh, but the second volume of your memoir is a, almost a live blog of what was going on. Hancock was on the radio this morning. I don't know if you yeah, heard it. I'm rationing. I'm rationing those guys. Part of the thing of doing that, it was cathartic at the time, but I can't is forensically on top of everything as I was when I was yes. doing it. I thought I've got to. If, I, if I'm going to point out the things they're getting wrong and the the fibs that are being told. I've got to be pretty forensic with my information here. And I think I was, you know, there was one or two opinions that you go back and if you were Dominic Cummings, you go back and alter and pretend you were right at the time. Um, but, you know, like you did with his blog. Have you been but, to Barnard Castle? Oh, yeah. God, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, because uh, my family come from Bishop Auckland. Indeed. Uh, which is just down oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little day out. It's a lovely place. Yeah. It's a, it, I mean, he's besmirched it, to be honest with you. <laughs> It's now it's now associated with you know, with bad things, but um, <laughs> it's a it's a it's a very it's a very nice place. I'd love to um, go. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah, so, oh, yeah, I'd highly recommend. It. I mean, they're probably getting a bit of curiosity tourism now, I guess, out of all of this. But uh, uh, yeah, that did tip me over the edge. That was the subtitle of what, why we always indoors was uh, unless we're off to Barnard Castle, which yeah. was, was my little my little sideways swipe at the. Just a year but, old um, now. It was the end of May. Uh, this will come out in the middle of June. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and, inc- oh, and okay. so Dominic Cummins will have given his testimony about the lockdown oh. and about the designing. Oh. I don't know if you'll be following the Cummings. Oh, 
well, I, I, he, he, owes, he owes us throwing as much to throw as much dirt around as he can, doesn't he? Really, I mean, I, I, it's horrible. It's horrible to be urging to sort of urge him on. You, he's the PSG a, of politics. <laughs> yes, yeah, it feels unclean, but it might be the lesser of two evils. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, <laughs> that's a good. That's a very good way of putting it. I like has that, the yeah. has the response to the second book, "Why Are We Always Indoors," surprised you? Have you had people messaging you saying, "Yeah, you're talking common sense. You should stand for government." Oh no! Well. I don't think anybody who knows me would know that you know <laughs> I'm a I'm a very good armchair critic and I wouldn't really want it to, I wouldn't really want it to, that's all the difference we talking about doing PPE I I knew from the word go that I was no no danger that I should be put in, in charge of anything important I mean so why did why did match the day was just sort of the, the most important of the unimportant things in yeah. life um, I mean I didn't know these people really but they were around they were all they were all sort of uh, uh, Matt Hancock Liz Truss loads of them did PPE uh, around about the same time as I did. Not and my colleagues, I didn't know them, but they always obviously someone got in their heads that they should be running the world. You know, Johnson's obviously thought from the age of five he should be world running the world, king. but they've all, yeah, world king, exactly. Yeah, so he's just had it, and, he, and nobody's nobody's put him straight either at home or at school or anything. I do, I, there have been times, there have been times when you're doing that, and you're screaming that, and you're going to, are you going to do anything about this? You're watching the pictures from Italy, or you're watching even the Indian, even the Indian variant recently, which is so obviously going to be a problem because he was trying to chum up with with Modi. We just spent weeks letting it happen, let it come into the country. Uh, there's been so many times where I thought, well, God, even I could make that decision better. <laughs> I was, I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not, you know, but I wouldn't want to do it. No, I've got, I, I, it's definitely better to, to watch from the sidelines. That was just, I just tried in that. Because I, a, to give myself something to do because we were all stuck indoors and it was a discipline of writing every morning. So I wrote an end, I wrote a, a diary entry every morning, but it, did, it was just. It, 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 I thought it would be interesting for, for posterity as well. I just thought, well, my, you know, my nieces or somebody in a few years' time, what you know, might be interested to see what it, what it felt like living through all that. Uh, it's an odd one. I mean, I'm, I'm uh, you know, part of me thinks, well, would anybody want to read that? But they did. So you know, there's obviously some, there's obviously some people just want to live through it all again. And I, I hope not that. I hope you've made some money from it so you can afford to go on a day out to Barnard Castle with the lovely Amanda from Stockton to whom you owe everything. How has it been being locked down? Well, we've gone all right, actually, but she's, she's extremely reasonable and tolerant. She's in the other room watching a drama or something at the moment. So um, we're only in a one-bedroom flat, so we just, we just, we, we, but we've, no, we've, we've gone very well to it, I think. I think, it's, I think that's more down to her than, than it is to me. Um, and being in northwest I, London, I, 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 could prob- I, I could probably get a train fare to Barnard Castle out of it. Yeah, I, I, I should look at it like that. Actually. Yeah. yeah, I think I think I'm going to maybe get a mega bus to Barnard Castle with the amount of money I'm going to earn for my book, which is called um, "From Kids to Champions." You think that's a good title? Yeah, yeah. Well, also there's a bit of an echo of "You'll Win Nothing with Kids" in there, isn't there? You obviously, which you know, is the the great the great the great Hanson. You uh, were there. On- uh, what? Yeah, I wasn't doing. I think I was. I don't think I was editor at that point. I think You're I was a VT. probably VT. I think, but yes, I do remember. I do remember him saying it. And to be fair, at the time they'd just been thrashed by Villa, haven't they? Everybody thought, well, yeah, he's probably right, but it didn't look. <laughs> I think also. I think also Fergie, with whom Alan has some history, um, kind of stored that one up, didn't oh, they? I think. Yeah. And, uh, Would it have been something to do with the '86 World Cup? Yeah, absolutely. I don't. I don't know. The, I, I've never really known the full story, but I think there was something. That, did I, I think what happened was I think I think this is right. Fergie dropped Allen to the '86 World Cup, and I think Dalgleish then withdrew. Uh, and, and Fergie thought it was he was in a sulk because of his mate. But uh, yeah, there was an injury. I, I don't know what it was, but obviously <laughs> that was the genesis of the of the Ferguson Dalgleish yeah. um, thing that went on for you. And, and also every time, and also he, he's clever like that. 
Ferguson. He did it in Scotland too, which is like the siege mentality thing. Anything, anybody say anything about Aberdeen, it was the Glasgow Mafia. And he, he created the same thing with the Barwick, who was running BBC Sport at the time as a Liverpool fan. Um, and Adams obviously played for Liverpool, so he turned that into the Liverpool Mafia have got it in for us. And it was a relatively innocent. It was, a, it was you know, they got thrashed at Villa first time of the season with all of that youth team playing. Maybe this isn't a good idea. As it turns out, it was a great idea because they're an amazing crop of players. But you know, it, it wasn't. It wasn't. He wasn't the only person saying that. I just have to say it in a succinct sentence that Fergie could throw back at him forevermore. Quite enjoyable. All that. I mean, the first, he then wouldn't speak to us for however long. But yeah, that, you know, use people already. When was the last time you played golf with Alan Hansen? I've never played golf. I don't play golf at all. Have you read my views on rugby union at the start of why we was on last? <laughs> I think golf, golf, golf falls in very much the same, uh-huh. very much the same for me. You do. Uh, to be fair, that's just, that's just an upbringing thing, and also the fact I've never had the, you know, you just never had the time or the chance when I was younger. So it's different in Scotland. To be fair, it's a different game in Scotland. How about I'll, I'll, yeah, I mean, I'll, Alan, yeah, it's what loads of people. It's just it's a very normal social thing to do. Whereas parts of England, it's a bit of a Bit of a rarefied thing, isn't it? Uh, you say that you're, you're, favorite... not, you're, not, you're not a golf, you're not a golf, are you, Jonathan? I'm not, offend, the... I'm not offending you. Not until the time I broke a seven iron. That was when I quit golf. Oh, okay. What in, te- in temper or? Oh, he's horrible temper. The guys just walked off. They said they said we don't want to play with you. It was a terrible day. Uh, I can play. Yeah, my brother... I beat myself. My brother was always like that. My brother used to smash up tennis rackets on the court. He's definitely a certain type of personality type. Yes. Well, Roger Federer smashed up lots of rackets. and. Well, that's true. Yeah, so did Henman until he started controlling himself. Yeah. But, um, have you, are you, I'm, just at, I'm looking at the picture I'm looking at of you here. We're not, because we can't see each other. But yes. you've got a guitar with you. You've obviously read some... I mean, that's one of, one of the features of my uh, diaries, my... It's been a great, great, great time to practice a lot, isn't it? Yeah. The last year. The best thing to do, I used to do this with the violin. Just leave it open, and then it will tempt you to pick it up. And I absolutely. Another thing I do not to earn money is write songs, and I've written several Watford-related pieces of music. I don't think I've written any hymns to Middlesbrough or any or Janino, but Janino rhymes with a lot of stuff. The two players you've loved watching: Graham Sunes and Janino. Yeah, Janino is the one I sort of more of a love affair with but soon as when I was a kid and that Jack Charlton team was absolutely fantastic you know he played alongside Bobby Murdoch who was an ageing very very clever quality player from, from Celtic in fact the second division midfield of those two and I think David Armstrong and I think probably David Mills playing on the right and they were you know ridiculous in the second division I was so, I was so lucky to go up watching that team so, soon as leaving for, for Liverpool kind of broke my heart in 77 or whatever it was I mean you know, look as, again as an adult, I totally get it. But at the time, it seemed like a you know a horrible thing. Have you met uh, Sunez? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, again, I, I, I think he's of a sort. And actually, to be fair, to be fair, he's, he's a very civilized fellow. I met him with Hanson, so that probably helped. We did we did some filming with him in uh, when Liverpool played Genoa, and he was Liverpool manager. He went over to watch Genoa. We went with him. We were doing the game live. Uh, and it was nice. It was, it was um, very interesting. Actually, one of those things we sort of sit and keep quiet while the two, two of them talk about sharing a dressing room. It was one, you know, quite, quite. Um, I did the same years later with uh, Mark Hughes and Peter Schmeichel, where we were just late night before a cup final. And it was up till about two in the morning. So just, and it's just, a, yeah, you are. That's that's when that job's all, all yeah. the crap you have to go through doing that job. You have those moments. You think this is quite. Quite privileged. And this this job, which you were you describe as the kind of navigator, you've got the map while the director's doing the driving. There's a chapter in Why Are We Always On Last called Any Given Saturday, which 
The ultimate compliment I can give is that of all the millions of words in the football library, if I were to compile an anthology of the best, I don't know, uh, 500,000, it would be in there because you describe putting together the show. um, And when you were working in the 80s, I mean, the the life as for a 20 something who loves football was unbelievable. If you have a family, you were stuffed. Um, I've written down frightening weekly schedule and you would edit sports night while it was on air. So you'd feed the tape yeah. while the show was going on different times. Absolutely. Yeah. And particularly because then, then there wasn't the 10 o'clock news on BBC one. I think it might've been on 925 at one point. Oh, yeah. So you would, yeah. you know, games, the game wouldn't have finished. If you went to extra time and penalties. You would just, and it was also, it was um, analog rather than digital. So if you can imagine, transferring an old C90 cassette and transferring the songs you like cost another one. It was like that. So in the end, you'd end up not even able to edit it. You just have chunks of football, you know, 10 chunks on different machines, playing them in one after another, trying to hope you got them in the right order and you haven't missed the goals. It was absolute carnage. I mean, I, I, I mentioned I mentioned one in the book where we did a, we did an FA Cup replay night, I think it was about 92, and everything went to extra time and penalties. And Borough actually lost the home of calls within 90 minutes. I was just delighted because it meant something was ready. Yes. It was that point where I just lose, but I don't care anymore. I'll think about the, the ramifications. Fifth round of the cup. I did some. I, been. I did some work for a big European football organisation that I won't name, and I would always go home at about ten fifteen once I'd put my blog to bed. But the media guys and the main guys who were running the desk sometimes wouldn't get out till midnight because they had to wait until all the post-match interviews were in and all <laughs> the journalists had filed, uh, and then of course that's the last train. So it makes yeah. it difficult for them. And you never really think about that. So when a game goes into extra time, good for the spectators, not good for anyone oh, else. Yeah, and similarly, I mean, I've, I've told the story in the book, even if you're doing a live game, you sort of think, well, that shouldn't, shouldn't be a problem. But we had the famous Saturday night where Stephen Gerrard scored that blue to, to take it um, into extra time um, in, the, in the Cup final 2006. And BBC One, who had a, had a, a new suit of Doctor Who lined up for after us, just didn't get it at all. This guy, I don't, I don't know whether the guy had ever watched football before and have it explained to him, but he was just dumbfounded this thing was going to go to extra time. He basically, well, he can't do that. We've got to show Doctor Who. And it went on and on and on, right through to penalties and right through to whether we could see the presentation or not. And I've, I've, told, I've told that story at length in the book as yeah. well. But in the end, Lineker had to... Um, who was listening to this nonsense going on in his ear with me, just sort of saying, you'll lose your job if you do that, some, some guy that went on the phone. Um, had to text the controller of BBC One, and then suddenly it all just changed. Suddenly suddenly in my ear, I was going, how long do you want? How long are your closing titles? You know, please stay on to leave all the interviews. And it was just, it was, yeah. So, you, so I, I often think of that. When I'm, 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 I usually do. I usually sort of try and second-guess the running order of match of the day. But also in a live situation, like the, there was an amazing Sky broadcaster couple of weeks ago where the European Super League was, was sort of dissolving while they were on a post-match after a game and Kelly Cates was clearly getting in her, in her ear while Arsenal just pulled out and she was reading Arsenal's statement on her, off her phone yeah. and I was, thought, I, was, I was it was great television but you were sort of heart in the mouth thinking I know what this is going to I know what this is like behind the scenes it's going to be absolute mayhem that would be a so great always, TV show actually seeing behind the scenes well, as live you click the red button and you yes. get what goes on in the, the VT room yeah, we'd have to moderate the language a bit, but yes, yeah, yeah, I think it's better would, TV. I mean, I think that, I think me against uh, me against this bloke and uh, Stephen Gerrard Cup final would definitely be a YouTube sensation. It's just, I mean, I would have been doing every sort of you know tearing my hair out gesture in, in the world <laughs> as he was saying, what's, "So how long? How long are these? How long is this penalty shootout? Well, well, you know, can you?" I said, "Well, it depends on if it finishes four three or seventeen 16 Well, that's not very helpful, is it? You know, so we're having this sort of ridiculous ridiculous 
goes to and fro about. Um, and then he said, oh, well, we can't stake the presentation. This is ridiculous. Doctor Who's going to be on at seven. You know, it's supposed to be on at six and it's going to be on at seven. Uh, and I said, well, you'll be the first. It'll be the first time people have ever showed the presentation live since, since they first showed it in 1937 or whatever it was. Uh, and it was just it was just this surreal. It was obviously just a some poor sod running BBC One on the night who knew nothing about football. But it was, yeah, and if you imagine that night, the night of the, the night of all the cup replays, Brian Barwick in the gallery, at, at one point just said, we're leading with whatever's ready. And I know, which is completely, was completely right. But editorial, it was ludicrous. It was just sort of, you know, instead of saying, what's the best game or what's the story? We end, I think we did end up leading with Middlesbrough Portsmouth because just because it finished. <laughs> it was like, that, was the, that, was the, and that was the extent of the technology back then as well. You couldn't, you just, you know, you, it was just absolute chaos. I remember we had a Southampton fan working with Paul McNamara, who's now at ITV, uh, and he came out punching the air from his cubicle after Southampton equalised in injury time at Man United. Man, they then beat United on penalties, you know, an hour later. <laughs> he virtually got lynched. You know, <laughs> it, was, it, was the one, it was the one game that was going to be ready. And suddenly, suddenly they equalised in injury time. I don't think he had a clue that all the other games had gone pe- extra time and penalties as well. But it was, it was great. I mean, it, was, it looks, it sounds, I mean, it was enjoyable to write about it. And, we, and whenever we get together with that generation, we have a really good laugh about how sort of primitive and chaotic it all was. But it was, it was, it, it was really, really aging. I mean, it really, really did. You know, and then you'd come back and do. I, I was then editing sport on Friday on a Friday, so I'd be in back on Thursday morning. You know, you couldn't sleep, and then you, then you'd do match of the day, and then you'd go off and film something on a. It's potty, really. I mean, it wouldn't. It, I, I, I don't. It's think like an investment right. banker's schedule. Yeah, it was like that. It was, it was just. It was like the things you read about, the sort of more mad places in the city. And I think it's been much more. I think they, 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 they took a sort of health and safety view on some of it later years, and it, and it was, yeah, we were told right. So by the time I was an editor, you can't do this anymore. You know, you can, yes. give people a day off or you know, sort of. This uh, Saturday, I'm not complaining. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not complaining. It was marvelously sort of formative, but I think it would have been, you know, it was borderline, you know, <laughs> yeah. borderline danger. Absolutely, if, had, if we had a heart attack, we'd all be to blame. If Leicester win, oh, Gary God, yeah, Lineker. Yeah, no, no. Is going to be the happiest man in Britain. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, how that works in terms of BBC impartiality, um, I don't, it's probably a bit, a bit more flexible in sport than it is in, you know, sort of uh, news or politics or whatever. But yes, I don't know. I'd, I'd be fascinated to see how they do it, actually. We did once do it. I did a game with him first time we did Leicester Live. We did him at Burnley or somewhere in the Cup. I think it was Burnley in the Cup. And we deliberately did. We put Leicester scarves and flags and everything behind him. So he did. You know, so he, he started on a sort of close-up shot of him, saying he's going to maintain neutrality or whatever. <laughs> I, I bet they'll do that this time. Do you reckon he'll ring you up uh, and try uh, and script the links bloody, with you? Bloody, bloody dangerous in Burnley, by the way. We, uh, the, nat- the natives weren't impressed with this mm. blue and white festoon studio. We went really, went really thought through the security angle of it, but uh, the, the pitchforks and burning torches were definitely out. I think, the, I think I think Leicester might then have won. Actually, we probably made it even worse. I think I think we I think we I think we we're like the away fans. We stayed in for a rather long time after the yes. game. And then the, the other one, the Premier League. I think was everybody was rooting for them. Maybe that that worked fairly well for him, didn't it? In terms of the, I'm going to do the next next year's opening in my underpants and all that. I think there was a lot of good. Well, I mean, everybody. I mean, I, I can't imagine anybody outside of the, the other rivals for the title not wanting him to win it that year. It was just you know just. Obviously, everybody supports any other team would would be would think that could be us with Leicester, uh, and I think the cup final less so because they're obviously a, a very good team now. But I mean, I, I think the vast majority of the country would be rooting for them on Saturday, so he might he might get away with a certain amount of. Um, <laughs> he's, gonna, he's not going to be. He's not going to be. I presume they're going to have some Chelsea input to try and balance him. Yeah, out. Yeah, they'll have Ashley Cole there for sure. 
See, normally I'd have been able to tell you this stuff when I was when I was when I had the finger on the pulse. I'd have known, but I deliberately, I deliberately, you know, just but like anybody else, put the telly on to see who was on there. We've come a long way, football-wise, from football sleeping towards catastrophe, fans being yobs. So why give them civilized facilities? Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, I was, I was. I mean, I was serious. No, I was at Hillsborough, so I, I mean, I've written about that. That's the one chapter I really, really had to work hard on because I was working at Hillsborough. Uh, and yes, exactly. And I also had been a fan right through the eighties and seen that sort of treatment and where and where it led. So um, I, we all have nostalgia for. But I, anybody starts telling me you want to go back to how that was, I you know I would uh, strongly disagree. <laughs> Are you the man? who invented modern football. In my book, the first one that I'm not here to talk about, I always say, Italia 90. It was the tournament oh, well, that no, reshaped yeah. football and you did some of the VTs that Lord Putnam, uh, of all people, um, you, you did a VT montage of Gaza. Oh, yes, yeah, I did, which was, I mean, that was very helpful in my career because he went on, it was extraordinary, he was on Wogan, I think Gaza was on after him and he said that video montage of... But to be perfectly honest, it was a it was an absolute gift. They just just get by a bar. He said half time in the third place playoff, which Gaza didn't play him, but England were playing Italy, and there's a huge audience. He said, uh, "Let's do something on Gaza," and I thought, yeah, well, it wasn't it wasn't difficult to find. You know, so we just got everybody out there, and we got some great people, Beckenbauer and people like that, talking about him. But there were fewer camera angles there are now, so I had to find, I had to go through everything we had and just find the the right pointed shots. It wasn't, it wasn't, but it was a bit of a gift. I mean, it was one of those things where you get, I did it, same thing with Brian Clough interview, as I mentioned the book. He was just unbelievably good and in great form and, and helpful for, you know, and I put, we put 15 minutes out of it on sports night, which just, just needed me to find the right bits, really. And you get massive credit for that. I thought, the guys are what I, I always feel a bit sheepish about because he got masses of um, sort of acclaim, but it didn't do my, didn't do my career any harm to be fair because it meant, meant I was trusted on sort of creative montages. The real one in that World Cup was this was the titles, which was which was not my doing, and that was that was I think that was a real game changer in terms of using Pavarotti and the sort of classiness of those titles and Tardelli running around in slow motion, sort of singing along in Essendorma. Uh, I think did I think did change the culture, particularly off the back of Hillsborough and everything else. I think we desperately football desperately needed a bit of sort of civilizing and a bit of you know um, and Gaza Gaza obviously just was was without being unwittingly contributed hugely to that didn't they so uh, it did the football did, and then the other Premier League and then you know, and then yeah, obviously Euro ninety six Euro ninety six then became then became perfectly all right to be a football fan again but there was yes there was there was it, 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 I mean I'm, I'm I was the junior member of the production team I think everybody was just so knackered they gave me the guy they gave me other things I did a, quite a few montages now but again the, the Pavarotti had set the tone, so he knew everything had to be a certain sort of classiness and a certain mm-hmm. polished montages and so on. It did. You know, it, 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 the tone was already set by the by the titles. Really, was Lineker being groomed at Italia ninety? As no, he was a footballer then. You know, I can't. Remember, I think he. I think he came back and did some punditry after they went out in eighty six. He's obviously he's a bright bloke. He wrote his own column for the Leicester Mercury, and it wasn't ghost written. You know, which is which is unusual for a footballer in the 80s particularly so I think he always had half an eye I think he liked English at school he, he does still that he likes wordplay he likes you know, he, Monty he, Python he reads. yeah he loves Monty Python which is something we had in common we've got a lot of we've got a lot of Python references in and so on um, but he was always up for stuff he was always sort of you know looking for a, there was some connection to a, to a Shakespearean or whatever he, he, his, um, his former wife he's, was uh, big on the theatre so he went to a lot of theatre yeah, he's, he's quite you know for a guy that left school whatever age he is he's a, he's a pretty 
you know, he, he's again a bit like I was talking about Shearer. He's just open to things and interested in things. And he's, um, I don't know whether they originally thought of him as going to be a pundit, but I don't, I don't know what point he looked at Des and thought, no, I'd rather do that. Des was a massive influence on him. That whole less is more thing. And, you know, I would write something to explain what all the various things meant in the, in the group permutations or whatever. And he would just shove it down. It's what Des did too. And just less is more. And this is all anybody really needs to know. And, you know, you, so you always have that kind of, yeah, that instinct for, I don't need to go on at length here. You get some presenters who will just throw words at things and he doesn't do that. And that's, that's definitely, you can see Des's influence there. The sort of eyebrow raised thing, if it all goes wrong, which is just such a great gambit, which is just, yeah, you like it when that happens, don't you? You know, as opposed to rabbit in the headlights and blame everybody. It's just a much better way to deal with, <laughs> you know, with, 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 things, with things going wrong. You, know, you just you just don't warm to a presenter who is so sorry. Well, somebody just let me down. It was happened, hasn't it? We see, we all see that. You see live TV where somebody gets in a huff because it's gone wrong and starts sort of throw, throwing things around. It, even if you're feeling like that, much much better just to sort of do an eyebrow raise. That's what that's where Des was fantastic. You write in Why Are We Always On Last, one or two figures on air appear untouchable. Can you name them? Well, I'm not a massive fan of Laura Kunzberg, I actually say that. I mean, I don't, I'm oh, okay. not an easy job. Not, a, not an easy job, but um, I, I, don't think, I don't think it's sort of, she's being wildly biased, but I do, I do, I do sense a, a sort of lack of critical approach. And I think this comes from on time, because actually sometimes I've heard it on Radio 4 and things, and it's really difficult. They're doing, they're doing so many outlets all day, these people now. So in, in, in mitigation, I didn't mean her specifically, entirely and there are others as well but the whole school of reporting now is for certain outlets particularly things like the blogs and the, and the main 10 o'clock news bulletin is, is keep it gossipy keep it light don't upset anybody you know I, I think we've sort of gone beyond that I think sometimes when when people are lying it's very difficult I mean it's very different BBC needs to come on and say the Prime Minister lied again today but find a way of at least sort of you know, not letting him get away with that and to that extent, but did I, I'd forgotten I said that actually. I was obviously, <laughs> but no, there's, it's it's. Uh, I mean, God, it's horribly difficult. I, mean, I have massive sympathy for everybody working at the BBC because you're always supposed to be balanced. We used to get in the neck all the time from the viewers about you're obviously all you Liverpool fans, you're obviously all Man United fans, you hate my team. Why are, are we on the <laughs> Why are we on exactly? Exactly. That's why the book was called that, which is you know about. 15 teams every season think they're always on last, you know, and you would get, and it'd get quite funny. You'd get, you'd get, you'd almost felt like just sending them each other's emails to say, well, funny you think Stoker was on last because this bloke just told me West Brom was on last, <laughs> you know, and that was, that was kind of, that was the motivation. But that's at least only football. And even though it was incredibly irritating, it's politics is really difficult. And there probably was a time when they were a bit sort of soft left at BBC News and, you know, they obviously irritate the hell out of Margaret Thatcher, but then they irritate the hell out of Harold Wilson and, you know, they're always going to do that because you want them to report exactly as you want them to report it. I think I think when you get to the stage like they did with Trump where people are just blatantly lying and, as I said earlier, voter manipulation all that kind of stuff, it's really difficult because the BBC is not the best place to do it, but Nobody else is. I mean, the, the Guardian will do it, or Channel Four News will do it, but hardly anybody, anything that anybody actually sees or, or reads, is, is querying any of this. You know, to get back to sort of Hartlepool, and maybe it doesn't matter to people, you know, but it sort of matters to me. I, I kind of you know, desperately want some of this to be called out. But if you do, I mean, there is a massive perception that within the Tory party that the BBC's left wing. Yeah, you know, I, I know people who will tell me that the BBC's left wing, and I just BBC News in particular, I just can't see it. You've got to, you've got to. BBC chairman who gave £400,000 to the Conservative Party. You've got a BBC director general who was a, lo- a, a local election candidate for the Tory party. And they've just brought back on their board 
the guy who was Theresa, who was a Theresa May, Nick Robbie Gibb, Gibb. Um, not Nick, Robbie, Robbie Gibb, Sir Robbie Gibb. Yeah, he was a you know, advisor to Theresa May, set up GB News with Andrew Neil. He's now back on the BBC board. He, and about six months ago, he was saying everybody's been horrible to poor Boris. He's, a, he's an absolute genius, and how dare and slagging off Lewis Goodall in a, in, a, in, a, in a tweet saying, "How can this lefty be on the BBC?" You know, it's like, where are we? I mean, what, 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 and, I, and again, I think that's one of one of the books I got into the whole thing about this starting during the Iraq War. It, it did. It, it, well, it happened before that, but the Iraq War was where it got out of hand with the Hutton report. Greg Dyke losing his job, you know, over over the reporting of the Iraq War, uh, and so I partly blame Alistair Campbell and Cope for that, and I, and I get a bit irritated when they're now the champions of free speech because they really intimidated the BBC back then. It was very very difficult for everybody. The BBC we lost the director general who was really good news over all of that. So it has gone. It's been difficult ever since. But I just feel now like untouchable is probably slightly unfair. But there's a sort of. Uh, just sort of general weediness about it, and and also the other thing I hate, which I hate in sport, which is Fox Pops. Just I understand it to an extent. We you know, we might seem out of touch and elite, so let's go and talk to people in the street. But you know, the people who are hanging around shopping centres in Hartlepool or whatever at lunchtime, you know, it's almost it's almost like a zoo, isn't it? They just get people who are going to say things like, "This is all the fault of the government that hasn't been in power for eleven years." It's all, and you know, the other one day, you know, public school boys like Keir Starmer. He isn't the public school. Why can somebody just tell them that? You know, his, his dad was a toolmaker, his mother was a nurse, he went to state school. But you're going to vote for Boris Johnson when you eat him. So can somebody just not just, can the reporter not just say, just, just, just factually here, you just said you're not going to vote for public school like Steve Keir Starmer, but you are going to vote for Boris Johnson. Can we just factually sort of establish that, that doesn't actually make any sense? What I don't you know, like I just, is the shooting of the messenger. It's getting on the back of the journalist rather than the story. And I think that's very totalitarian. I don't like that. Um, people are having a go at the Koonsberg, who went to Edinburgh, a very fine university. And, yeah, uh, no, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not even in a problem with what school she went to. I'm, not, I'm really, really not bothered. No, I know. I'm just mentioning that because I went there as well. But that's completely by the by. Um, so, so we will see, and you will get a lot of political flavours. Uh, would you say that people should not read Why Are We Always Indoors? if you have a pre-existing medical condition that could set you on fire? <laughs> what do you mean in terms of, in terms of yeah, what, getting angry with me or getting angry, getting angry reading, the, reading the recent history? Uh, a bit of both, but, but yes, getting angry at the truth. Yeah, possibly. I think there's, there's a fair bit of light and shade in there, isn't there? I mean, there's, a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of sort of reminiscing stuff about football and music. Cause there was a heck, I mean, what I did, though, was did, I, I did try this. So this, is, this is what I've been thinking about or watching or playing or whatever today i mean it is a, i would definitely read the other one first i mean i have to say i i, I would i would it's, it's self-admittedly my difficult second album um and it was but i thought it wouldn't need to be authentic i kind of was had I've, I've got no idea whether anybody ever read it in the future but you sort of you know the forward which dick clement did who's my mate's dad who, 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 oh. who's a big, what from it yeah a bit from uh yeah well wrote to the likely lads and porridge and yeah and, what from uh, it kill this what from it yeah, exactly. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I think the friend they did the jokes and Dick did the structure, but okay. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so what happened was I was doing, I was keeping this diary. I was thinking, it's just, I'll just send it out to my mates. And Andrew Clement, who be directing the cup final, I think, if the BBC are directing it, but he's, he's sort of the main director of BBC. His dad is Dick Clement, who was the scriptwriter. Uh, and Dick's over, over in uh, LA, where he now sort of edits, he, he rewrites films and things. You know, he's he's written a book about it. Friend. Yeah, it's good. I've got it. It's very good, but um, not, not a likely story or something yeah. it's called. Yes, 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 yes. Um, but like, and obviously, he's like a bit of a hero of mine, but I've met him a few times. And 
um, Andrew, unbeknownst me, and sent it to him. He said he should get this published. So he wrote the foreword. And the point is that he rather ludicrously, although rather nicely for me, sort of said this could be the sort of Samuel Pepys of its day. I'm sure it won't be, you know, but Samuel Pepys. Although Samuel Pepys wasn't published for about 50 years after he wrote it or something. But, but it, yeah, I did intend for posterity to sort of just be honest. This is how it feels. And there are things in there I was wrong about. I mean, I was, like I was wrong about VAR and why we were always on last, by the way. <laughs> if I ever write the sort of a, a second preface to that, I will hold my hands up and say my enthusiasm for VAR, VAR has completely disappeared. Um, I think Lineker would say the same. But in, in terms of why we were indoors, I was you know, frantic about why we got enough ventilators and all that fiasco was going on. In the end, that was all right. You know, that we, they managed to, you know, belatedly locked down to an extent that meant that we didn't run out of ventilators and we didn't know other things went wrong. Uh, so there are there various things in there that, that I've called at the time, I was getting exasperated about or whatever, that possibly aren't correct. But I wanted it to be authentic. And as I said, I mean, famously, Cummings went back after his Barnard Castle trip and I think that night rewrote his blog about pandemics to pretend that he knew that this one was coming. You know, uh, retrospectively, which is just, I was caught out doing it because cleverer people than me could spot when he edited it. Classic Dom. <laughs> Classic Dom. <laughs> I mean, for me, that would be, you know, you, you know, it's like in academia, that'd be the end of you, wouldn't yeah. it? You did that. <laughs> you went and said, well, as I correctly predicted two years ago, you just wouldn't be ever regarded taken seriously again, would you? But I'm, I'm finding so much gallows humour. I mean, that's yeah. one of the things I hope is in why we was indoors. I hope there is some definite, I mean, a lot of it's secondhand. A lot of it's me passing on things that people have told me about. Um, that incredible rant that Dick sent me about from Tommy Lee from Motley Crue, where he just ranted in some blog about uh, Trump. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just utterly brilliant. You know, I, I mean, there's, there's lots and lots of gallows humour to be had through all of this, so I hope there's plenty of that in there. And Cummings is an ins- essentially visible figure, really. He's just got utterly diluted. The, 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 the thing he writes about what everybody should know about is the most pretentious thing I've ever seen, about you know, everybody should have a knowledge of the super quark by some... Nobel physicist, and if you haven't read the brothers Karamazov in Russian, you know, you know, just the guys that comp- you, you, you know, you've been at university. You meet people like that who just full of crap who claim they've read everything and know everything about everything, and in the sort of in the land of the blind, the wild man's king. So obviously, in a in an incredible mediocrity of the people around Boris Johnson, yeah. he probably comes because he's a genius, and he did win. He somehow did win them that referendum. I mean, you know. And one day we might find out how how uh, legal any of it was, but you know, but from that he's now branded as a sort of utter genius, and it just drove me nuts. I think if you've been to sort of universities or, or lived in the south or whatever, you've met more people like Boris Johnson, so you can see them coming a mile off. Which is why Tunbridge Wells and Oxfordshire might not be so sure about him anymore. Hmm. I think in Hartlepool he's just funny blonde man on the telly. I mean, I really do think that. That's not being rude, but if you don't follow politics very closely. And your, your Labour council has been a bit crap for years, and you know you had Peter Mandelson as your MP or whatever. And you see funny blonde man's come down to our fish and chips and our pier. You, you, know, you, you just might think, oh, that's, that's at least that's entertaining. Same as Trump, isn't it? So, you know, sort yeah. of uh, it's the kind of voting, you know, it's, it's the reality voting shows as politics. Oh, he's entertaining. You know, this other guy's boring. Let's vote him off. Clement Attlee or Roosevelt or something would have been unbelievably boring. Oh, boring. Vote him off. Get rid of them. You know, let's have the, let's have the entertaining guy instead. Well, let's yeah, hope that nice. Labour are growing a kind of blonde, uh, foolish, <laughs> uh, nebbish <laughs> sugar of a guy. Because um, to, to, that's the only way they're going to get in now. Probably, yeah. Probably they're going to need something equally ludicrous, yeah. 
London 2012. We seemed to blossom as a nation. You were at Super Saturday watching Mo and Jess and Greg. Was it the last hurrah for Great Britain? Yeah, I, I, I do feel like... Have you read Jonathan Coe's book, Middle England? I have. His novel, which, which starts there. And goes downhill ever after, um, and that's how I feel. I think he, I think he nailed that. I, I felt like, and it was, a, it was, it was obviously just illusory. I mean, I was lucky. I was working. I had accreditation, so I'd done a long shift in the morning and dashed down there to be there for that for that. So it was amazing. You know, I had to squeeze. It was about six of us sitting on about two seats, just sort of squashed in somewhere in the in the press area. You know, it was kind of, but it was just everything about it. The welcoming. I remember coming out of the out of the stadium, and there was a kid on a tennis umpire's chair. Some you know young lad from that area just shouting goodbye and good luck and whatever uh, to everybody in their languages so somebody would go past in a finish with a finish flag and he'd read off his little list you know all the malaysia whatever it was and he had all of their languages and all of the you know have a you know come back well you're very welcome all that it's felt, it felt like a really clever smart nation you know the the, the opening ceremony was wonderful i mean all, it got it got all the things i like about you know or feel patriotic about in you know, in a, in a sort of slightly shambolic comedy, but also made all sorts of very pertinent points about what we are. Uh, and it just seems to have absolutely fallen apart ever since, hasn't it? I, don't, I genuinely couldn't possibly have predicted the way it's gone in the last decade. It, we seem like a modern, inclusive, welcoming, enjoyable country. I mean, I don't know if this austerity was being on... A lot of people around the country probably looked at it and felt no part of it, I guess that is the truth. But I, 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 share, you, I share your sort of feeling that something utterly bizarre is going to happen have to happen to turn, turn it around well and we're here yeah. to see it um you do have your football library card unfortunately middle england uh doesn't touch football and if it does it's about a sentence so which football books would you would you grasp once you've gone past roy Keane at the door johnny nicholson <coughs> borough fan the um yeah, welcome johnny, desk. he's a very good right daniel 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 gray is another uh, daniel fan. gray of those, course those, those short, those who I did a thing at Edinburgh with actually the book festival uh, in 2019. It was just it was a joy to, 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 to we did a sort of a Q and A and a beer tasting thing, which is great. He's a lovely bloke and wrote those very those excellent sort of pocket guys to a hundred things that you know, are great about football and it was lovely, really uplifting about you know, the sight of floodlights and the train and all that sort of evocative stuff. So that's they're they're great. Uh, Harry Pearson's Far Corner is the best. Correct. I mean. Uh, is, the, is better uh, than uh, Fever Pitch. I was from the same era. I mean, Fever Pitch was, Fever Pitch, you know, I think yeah. was, was Fever Pitch was quite a sort of uh, you know, a radical thing at the time. But that was about a very successful team. Harry's writing about the sort of northeast and the doldrums with huge humour, uh, and travelled as a sort of road trip. He's, he's revisited this year. Yes, the father uh, corner. The father corner. Uh, they both the far corner. Just, just. I mean, Harry's. A, and again, I know him, but it, but which. But anyway, it doesn't matter about that. I think obviously he's a Borough fan, but it, 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 irrespective of that, uh, the far corners are real. It, 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 so at some point, something needs to do in, sort of, uh, in the next few years, the North East, really, and just interlink the football and what, it, and what it's become, which is sort of a political, you know, all of that. And, and what will happen? Will the free port in Hartlepool create any jobs? Will any of this, will any of this stuff be delivered? <laughs> there's a, a really deep, and, 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 the, and the underachievement of all the football. If I... The teams that are in the far corner. I mean, Hartlepool, Darlington, and Berwick have all gone out of the leagues. He did. He did. Yeah. He, did he did. You know, he went to all of them as league clubs in England and Scotland, and they've all disappeared. So you know, Grimsby. Borough, yeah, Grimsby is another similar sociological uh, thing, of course, yeah. isn't it? But um, but no. Anyway, the North East is just yeah, you know, and Sunderland are uh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I, I I find it a bit painful to see how poor they are now. Uh, Newcastle, we discussed earlier. 
Borough, actually, probably the. Yeah, I'm reluctant to say, given the Warnock, they're probably the best runners of the three. They're probably you know, mid-table in the championship is probably roughly where they their rightful place in history, really. Yeah. Um, Although, it, no, it, that's uh, not true. They are one of the well, most we success, 20 successful clubs in English football because of what they did well, at the beginning yeah. of the pro game. Yeah, true. Yeah, and also, I mean, obviously, the, and the, and the, the era around the wars when they were very good. Manion and all that, and all that. Yes, yeah, so yes. Yeah, so I think that's right. I think they are historically, but in a way, so, them, so would yeah, yeah. so would Bolton be probably or whatever. You know, they're in, they're in that kind of category, aren't they? Over um, and produce loads of players and whatever. But in my lifetime, they've probably been in the second tier more than the first tier. I think. Uh-huh. And uh, the, they were they're in the second tier for the whole of my first sort of ten years. And then came brief, Big Jack. Boot, came yeah, Big Jack. Then they all fell apart again. Yeah. Then the whole Gibson era, early part of that era, and it's all fall, not fallen apart, but they've gone back down there again. So I haven't talked it up actually, but I think now there'll be more second tier than first tier in my lifetime, and a couple of years in the third tier, which I really enjoyed because it's just you know it's good fun to go and win every week. And you know, same, with, same same with Watford, people love the love the third and fourth division promotions. The older the older Watford fans you know, loved all that, didn't they? When they were yeah. South End with main rivals and you know, and just things have changed now under the Potsos. It's it's different. Uh, for good and for ill. Final question: What about the third book? What can you write about next? Oh God, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I mean, Harry's obviously the, the doyen of northeast writing. But if I could find a way of doing a northeast book in a while, like a, a road trip that was part football, part you know, just also just where I grew up and all the things. I don't know. I mean, whether it would be interesting. You couldn't be too autobiographical. But What's the village? There is, there is Costic? Costic? Cockfield. Cockfield. Yeah, which produced. 27 professional players in a, I mean, in a village of about 2,000 people, which is unbelievable. Uh, yeah, that's all quite a Bishop Auckland, you know, with the, the Amateur Cup and all that stuff. I just thought, I, I kind of wouldn't want to tread on, particularly when I found out that Harry, Harry was doing a sequel, I had well, vaguely thought, he hasn't written a book up North East for 25 years, maybe I can do this, sort of, you know, cheekily referred to him, a bit like bloody Paul Tiller refers to his Bradshaw, you know what I mean? I could travel, travel around the North East clutching my copy of The Far Corner. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. I'd also quite like to write. I love rubbish, slow county cricket. So there might be some. There might be something there somewhere, but that'd be quite. That'd be quite uh, niche as well. I think. <laughs> I think I'm just going to become one of those dreadful old men who wanders around this packet of sandwiches at non-league grounds, or you know, <laughs> April days at um, yeah. you know Chelmsford or the Oval or something. Yeah, you're down the road <laughs> but, from Lords, so if I want to find you, you're going yeah, to be at Lords. I walked. I walked to Lords, and I can. I've also remember. I remember at uh, the Oval as well. Oh, great! Yeah, so that's gonna, that's my first life sport for some time. I'm, I'm booked in for Surrey Middlesex in the county championship, and I don't know how many weeks. I so not not too far away, actually. I'm a part of their part of their limited crowd for that. Wicked. So, um, well, enjoy your be... summer of sport. Well, thanks very much, Jonathan. I hope you can. I hope you can sort of put a knife into that. Like, as, a, as an ex-editor, I shouldn't be leaving you with such a complicated editorial task but there you go that's i'm, I'm poacher turned gamekeeper now and i, and I just <laughs> like, i used to have to cut back people's verbose interviews